Well, good morning, church. Um, it's a joy to be able to spend time with you this morning, um, even virtually. As Pastor Casey mentioned, um, this morning is a little unusual, the way that we're going to be spending our time in light of everything that is going on in our nation and kind of where we are as a church. Um, we thought to wise to mix things up just a little bit this morning. And so for our first kind of concentrated time together this morning in the Word, I would ask that you turn your attention to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to look just for a few minutes um, in verses 41 through 46. So if you wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles, meeting me in 1 Kings chapter 18. And if you would stand while I read God's Word to us this morning. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And a little while, while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. You may have a seat. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have as your people to come now and to be encouraged, to be convicted, to be challenged by your word. Lord, I pray just as we look at it just for a few moments this morning, Lord, I do pray that you would, you would use it to shape us as your people, that you would um, show us what you want from us. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we need God to revive us now. We are in need of God. If you look here in 1 Kings 18, sort of our story follows one of the greater stories, and one of, this is one of the most famous passages in all of the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18. And at the beginning of this particular section, we discover that the land needed rain. The land needed rain. For some three years, there was no rain in the land. Told in the beginning of chapter 18 that the famine was severe and that the people were suffering as a result. The land needed rain. Folks, this morning we find ourselves in a similar position. A position of great need. Let's consider just for a moment the chaos of our day. 
feel like the last couple of weeks, every time we start off service, I have started off with the phrase, this has been a difficult week. Um, I don't know if I can start a service anymore with that phrase, but our, our day certainly seems chaotic. Just consider with me for a moment if, as we think about the racism and the injustice that has been exposed um, for some of us just recently. In recent months, the murders of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd most recently have brought national attention to the evils of racism and injustice present in our society. We are forced as a people to acknowledge and as God's people to confront these realities. With their surfacing comes a great deal of pain, a good deal of grief, and great, great brokenness. These are not new realities. For some of us, we've just been ignorant of them for far too long. The result should be, as people of God, as we see our brothers and sisters in pain, we should also be in pain. We should seek to understand and we should lovingly come alongside and stand with our brothers and sisters. Our day certainly seems chaotic, doesn't it? There's rioting and there's looting. We wake up every day with new images of destruction and violence all over our nation and right here in our own community. I was on the phone just yesterday with the mayor as he tried to rally community support to try and change the direction of the protest. His concern was that the protesters, the demonstrations, are taking away the voice that needs to be heard right now, the voice of the people that is hurting. His concern was that there's a different agenda. Even this morning on my way to church here, I had to navigate around roadblocks because certain sections of our town are are shut down. Our, our day, our city, seems chaotic. All of this is happening during a time where we're living with a pandemic that has completely turned the world upside down for the past three months. Some of us daily fight the fear of getting sick. We are forced in isolation. Our economy is struggling and tomorrow does not seem certain. The chaos of today has also exposed the idols of our day. Idols of comfort, of control, of pride and indulgence, and that of love of self. Just like Elijah was desperate for rain, we too are desperate for God. Desperate for God to revive us to come and to heal our land, to heal our church, to water the land again. So how should we respond? Well, this morning we encourage you, like Elijah, that we should seek the Lord. In the story, Elijah goes up to the top of Mount Carmel and he prays. Remember, this follows one of the greatest public spectacles in the Old Testament as Elijah confronted the false god of the day and the many prophets. As 
Elijah goes up in private to the top of this mountain. He prays. He, his prayer, as we consider his prayer and the way he approaches God, Elijah was humble in his prayer. He goes, he's alone. This one's not for show. He's bowing down on the ground. He humbles himself before the Lord. As he does, we are reminded of our need to pray as well. Many of you are aware this past week that we, along with many other churches in our community, came together because we recognized our need for prayer. It was a beautiful event Wednesday night just here in the parking lot outside. Many folks attended, a number of different churches participated. It was a powerful public sort of demonstration of what we need to do as God's people. It's easy to come to a public event and to do what everybody knows we ought to do. But as we look here in Elijah's life, I'm going to ask you, what does your personal prayer life look like? Does your personal prayer life reflect the needs? Does it reflect God's heart and our concern for our church and our world? Are you publicly humbling yourself before God, crying out in desperation for him to send his reign? Is your prayer humble like Elijah's? Elijah's prayer was also persistent. He was persistent in his prayer. He said to his servant, go up now toward the sea. He went up and he looked and there was nothing. Again, he said, go seven times. When the servant came back with no news, Elijah continued to pray. The Lord didn't answer, but Elijah continued to pray. He continued to pray. Folks, we must be persistent in our prayer. As we consider the brokenness of our world, of our own community, of our own hearts, we must commit to persistent, consistent prayer, pleading for God to reign, to revive us. Elijah was persistent. Elijah was also expectant in his prayer. Sends the king off to eat and to drink. He says, there is the sound of rushing rain. He trusts that his prayer will be heard and that God will act. Folks, I'm reminded of just in Exodus, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter two is God's people had been in slavery, enslaved for some 400 years. The Bible tells us that as they cried and groaned and, and called out to God, we're told that God heard their groaning God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Folks, we can, be, we can pray with expectancy because we pray to a God who hears us and who knows. He knows. He hears our groaning, and he will answer us. God heard Elijah and he answered his prayer. It says the heavens grew black with, with clouds and there was a great rain. Many of us have lived the majority of our lives with the illusion of control. And that simply adds to our frustration during these days. Seeing all that is broken in our world, we find ourselves sitting around scratching our heads wondering, what can I do? I can't tell you how many folks just in the last couple of weeks from our church and from the community have reached out to me and asked me that exact same question. How can I help? 
So many see the need, see the brokenness, yet we often are left feeling so powerless. But we have great comfort this morning because we are reminded that we worship a God who is all-powerful and is in complete control. Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he prays ultimately because he knows the wind, the clouds, and the rain are not beyond Yahweh's control. For he is the creator God who has power over everything that he has made. Elijah for us is a wonderful example of what it means to be a man of prayer. And he is this man of prayer because Elijah also is a man of promise. His commitment to God, his devotion to prayer, ultimately here in this, in 1 Kings chapter 18, was tied to a promise that God had given him in verse 1, where God says to him, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Because of this promise, Elijah could approach the king with confidence. He could confront the idols and the evil of his day with a swagger because he was a man who had a promise. God told him he would do something and God is faithful. He delivered on his word. We're here this morning as people of prayer and as people of a promise. Our prayers are rooted and the confidence we have in God, we are a people of promise and of hope. So as we cry out to him together, we trust that he will do what he says he will do. He is a faithful God who hears us and who knows. I'm reminded of this in Matthew chapter five, verses two through 12, as Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he, he speaks about God's people as a, as a blessed people, as a people of promise. Listen to the words that Jesus says. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Folks, we, as we pray this morning, as we pray now, we pray as people of promise. We, as we mourn, we mourn as people who will be comforted. So this morning, let's do just that. Let's pray. I want you to spend just a moment or two, first of all, praising God because God is able to hear us. He hears us. And not just does he hear us, he's able to heal us. So I'm gonna give you just a moment, just wherever you are, at home, with your family, by yourself, I want you to just spend a moment praising God for who he is. And in a moment, I'm gonna close our time in prayer.
glorious triune God come before you this morning and proclaim that you are God and I am not. As I ponder your immeasurable and irrepressible goodness towards me and all your people in Jesus, I'm driven to silence and compelled to shout all at the same time. Truly, you are unrelenting in your attention, lavish in your affections, and extravagant in your provisions. You didn't just invite me to follow you. You called me and adopted me as your own child. Thank you, Father. Because of the work of Jesus, you will never love me more than you do today, and you will never love me less. What amazing love you have shown me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me to grasp your grasp of me. I am both kept by you and for you. Nothing can pull me from your hand nor tear me from your heart, O oh Jesus. Indeed, Holy Spirit, bring from the throne of grace into my heart and story an abundance of mercy. For I am a foolish man. Peace, for I am a broken man. And love, for I am a selfish man. Praise you today and every day, O oh glorious and mighty God. Father, we confess we are proud and reliant on ourself. We have trusted in our strength and rested in our own comforts. The result has been a deep spiritual apathy in our own lives and in our own community. Forgive us, God. Spirit, would you convict me of my sin and in your mercy break me of my pride. We confess that we do not love you as we should we are tempted and we are wooed by the idols in our land. We confess that we do not love others as we ought. Father, we ask that you would hear our prayers. We are in need of an outpouring of your spirit today. We ask that you would revive us, Lord, and that you would send your rain. I see things in Jesus' name. Amen. In a word, these past three months have been uncertain in our church, in our county, in our country, in our world. For me, this multi-layered season of uncertainty has not only emphasized the importance and the fullness of the gift of today, it has also clarified for me the power of praying together even when separated from one another. Simply stated, we need to pray. James 5.16 reads, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now before we continue on with worship uh, in prayer and song, let's consider four parts of this verse now together. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We read at the beginning of this, the prayer. Uh, what is prayer? Prayer is the voicing of all of you to God. Your thoughts, your emotions, your hopes, your desires, your fears. 
taking that to God. Prayer aligns with and calls for the counsel of God to be made unmistakably clear today. But it's not prayer of any kind, as the verse reads. It's a specific kind. We read that it is prayer of a righteous person. Not a perfect person. Not a good enough Christian. Not a generally religious person. But the prayer of a righteous person. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be a righteous person? I think simply stated, it maybe means two things. To be righteous means to be in right standing with God. To be in right standing with God. This speaks maybe to the legal relationship we have with God, the doctrine of justification. Uh, very briefly, Psalm 130 reads this. Uh, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. This is justification made possible only through faith in Christ. If you want more on how that works, uh, Romans 3 is, is, is a wonderful example of this. I'll only read right now Romans 3.22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness is a right standing with God. It is also, uh, in, in the second sense, a right life before God. This speaks to the moral living. This is the doctrine of sanctification. Faithfully, gratefully, reverently fearing our forgiving Lord, we then move to obey his virtuous commands and the perfect example of Jesus Christ. I'm really excited for the next uh, several weeks. This summer, we are going to be going into a series um, on sanctification, that is, the working out of our holiness that we have through Christ uh, in our daily lives together. I've been so excited to talk through with our preaching team together uh, just this, this slow, methodical understanding of what it means to grow in our faith. So that's righteousness, the prayer of a righteous person, both legally in right standing with God and morally in right living with God or before God. Then we move to the prayer of a righteous person here in this verse in James. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Now this one's strange. Uh, this one, though, uh, by the help of James 5, verses 13 through 15, we understand it has power to do certain things. It has great power to save, great power to heal, great power to raise up, great power to forgive, to save, to raise up, to forgive. It saves certain kinds of people. To save the sick. While the word here uh, that's used here for sick usually refers throughout the Bible to physical ailment, Paul also uses this same words. Uh, one of the places uh, is Romans 14. Romans 14. He uses it to refer to our spiritual sickness. He says, uh, as for one who was weak, that is sick, in faith. I think this is very helpful language for us today because it allows us to better understand that sickness is a state of being. You can't have sickness. I don't care what anyone says or sings, you can't get down with the sickness. You can't have it. You become sick from either a lack of something good or an introduction of something bad. And as with bodies, 
so also with souls. So we pray. And we pray expectantly for healing because we pray to a God who raises up the dead and the discouraged. He raises up. It has power to raise up. We pray that God would raise up the spiritually dead. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. And we pray that God would raise up the spiritually dead. We also pray that God would lift up the lowly. We've heard this already today. Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we pray. We pray expectantly for the healing of the sick, because God raises up the dead. And we pray expectantly for the raising up of the dead and the lowly because we pray to a God who forgives sin. Prayer of the righteous has great power to forgive sinners. In Mark 2, there's a story here where Jesus is preaching to a a packed house, literally a packed house. Uh, And then there's this unexpected turn of events uh, as he's preaching. And some guys come and they bust a hole in the roof and they lower down their friend who's a paralytic. This stops everything. And Jesus looks at this paralytic and, and, he, and he looks around. Uh, Mark 2, 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, all of their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then the question rises from the disgruntled religious elites, as it always does, who were there. And they say, Who can forgive sins but God alone? To which Jesus basically responds, yeah, exactly. I have the power to forgive sins. As the story goes, Jesus turns to the paralytic man then, whose sins he had just forgiven, and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed because he was healed, and he went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I love that. A glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like what we're experiencing today. These people had not seen a man who was God who could bind together the spiritual sickness with, with the uh, physical sickness and take care of them all in a moment. It seems that the powerful work of God takes place in an order. A prayer has a great power to save and heal the sick because it has a greater power to raise up the dead because it has a greater power to forgive sins. What I'm saying basically here is following this line of reasoning is if God can change, uh, if God can forgive sins, God can do anything. If God can change the trajectory of the intangible, ethereal, eternal realities in a moment, he can help our church today. 
He can heal our racial divide. He can reign regardless of politics or politicians. He can save and heal even in a pandemic. Elijah had a righteous swagger because he knew that he had access through prayer to a promise-keeping God. We have that. James says this. This is the point he's making. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. And the reason why it has great power is because it, it, it aligns itself with the work that God is doing. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Something happens when we pray. And so we read here uh, in, in uh, James 5, we read, Therefore, James concludes, confess your sins. Because something happens in our prayer. Uh, confessing sins, repentance, that is confessing, or, or maybe admitting and apologizing that you are a sinner, that you have committed the sin, it is your own, and you ask for forgiveness of it. This comes before forgiveness of sins, which makes it a pretty good thing that the first thing we should start off with in any prayer is a confession of sin. Because confession of sin comes before forgiveness of sin, which seems to start the entire process of healing. What a great posture we could take in this time of uncertainty if we led first with confessing our sins. But so also James directs us to pray for one another in order that you might be healed. We have many examples of this thing called intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is basically a person, a prayer, standing between God and some people and looking at God and saying, Lord, have mercy, help them. I'm going to invite us to do this. Some of these examples, though, that we get are Moses. We have Abraham. We have Elijah, Elisha, Hezekiah, Job, and the best one, Jesus. Two of the things that, two, two of the intercessory prayers that I hear Jesus praying of that I can think of right now um, are uh, one, one is which he says, um, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're sick, they lack something they need. They need to understand I'm their Savior. Help alleviate their illness. Heal them with saving knowledge. He also prays another one. Before he's, uh, he's, he's on the cross, he, he's over in the garden, and he prays, he says, sanctify them. They have some knowledge. They don't have enough of it. They, have, they will have, through faith, a holiness, a righteousness. But God, stoke that flame into health and do it by your word. Prayer has great power as it is working. Its power does not come from the words themselves, as though they are some magical spell or incantation. Nor does this power come from summoning uh, of a genie who is going to fulfill all of our wishes. 
This is why there is so much power in prayer. It's because prayer has this great power because it is a merging of our will and desire into the stream of the almighty God's will and desire. He does what he does when he wants to do it. And it shapes us and forms us to be obedient to him and to align our thoughts and our words and our actions to how he would have us respond. So even if we are uncertain as to what my next move or conversation is, we can pray. Even when our cities are on fire, when we can't seem to put out the flames, James 5 concludes, Elijah prayed and there was rain. We need to pray. So let's pray now for rain. What I'm going to do now is to, pray, is to lead you in a prayer. And I know with the technology that we have right now, it's going to be a little bit different. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a few prompts just by reading uh, some categories of things to pray for. And, and I'd honestly think that, um, that maybe you, you take these categories, if you're thinking of people that fall into these, these descriptions, that you just say their name. You can say it out loud. You can write it down. Um, you can think it. Um, you could share it with those in, in, in the room with you. And so I'll pray a prayer for them, and they just ask you to pray for them by name. And then think of someone. It's a wonderful way to build that community, that care, that, that prayerful network, the fellowship that we have by thinking of these people. If you have a hole, if you can't think of someone that fits one of these, maybe make that your assignment to find someone to whom you could pray with. Extend your network more. Ask questions to find uh, some of these answers of how we can be praying for one another. So I want to pray for the sick, for the lowly, for sinners. So let's pray now. God, you are a God who sends rain. You are a God who brings revival and renewal. We are parched. We are thirsty. We need you. So brothers and sisters, let's pray now for the sick for the afflicted, for those who have been infected with coronavirus or any other physical ailment. For those plagued with anxiety and uncertainty. Pray now for them by name. Pray for those on the other side of this who are distanced from hospitalized or quarantined loved ones. Pray for those who are grieving loss of unexpected death. Pray for medical professionals whose, uh, whose lives have been turned upside down, whose protocol has been directly uh, altered, who have this, this the, the upfront present awareness of the danger, of the sign of the times right now. Pray for the unemployed, for those under financial strain. So also pray for families of those uh, grieving an unnecessary loss of life, whether that's through illness or through injustice. Especially pray for those uh, grieving in, in time of injustice 
for their grieving, that it be focused rightly on you in the midst of media frenzy. Pray for our law enforcement nationwide, that they would have a turning of heart, that they would have a confidence in their work, that they would have a protection from unnecessary hate, unnecessary violence, that there could be a a redemptive understanding of law in and through them. Pray for activists, for rioters, for looters, that the rioting, the looting be stopped, that the words that they're trying to, the message they're trying to get out be heard, put into the right context, and that people hear them and take action rightly. Pray for passive Christians who feel inconvenienced by the situation, who are ignorant of the information. Pray that the Spirit would move in our hearts and our minds from complacency to proclaiming the peace of Christ. Pray for citizens and Christians to unite, to unite over the advancement of justice rooted in the glory of the gospel. For our political leaders, that in their decisions, they are just. And also that they decide to change a rhetoric of division. And finally, most importantly, pray for sinners by name, for those who do not believe in Christ Jesus, who are not in right standing with God, that they might know the reality of God of their sin and of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. We'll conclude this prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer. I'd encourage you to do this out loud at home with me now as it as so wonderfully aligns our wills to the will of God. You can follow along on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.